worship with us, you know, um, this is what our church is about. We want to connect with you. We want to love on you. And as we do that, we let you know that um, uh, you can stay in the service. Or if you are between the ages of uh, four and third grade, we do have Sunday school for kids that be out the door and to the left to the gym. If your kids would like to go to Sunday school, that is right now. So um, now if your kids want to hear an awesome sermon, they're more than welcome to stay as well. But so as you see the mass exodus, you'll see that they're not as excited about me. We'll let them keep going. So we are, we're glad you're here to worship with us today following the service. As you know, we'll have a, some food outside. There's inflatables, and we look forward to spending the day with you guys. All right. I'm going to get started here, okay? So let's, uh, let's start. Uh, today we start a new sermon series, and it's called Engaged. And we'll be spending the next seven to eight weeks looking at who what and why Jesus engages as he lives his life. You know, um, we, we, you, I think we develop all these thoughts about, like, as a Christian, what should our life look like? You know, um, do I need to be this? Do I need to do that? And all these things. And, and, and what we want to do is, is the next seven to eight weeks is this. I want us to look at Jesus and see what Jesus engages how he engages it, and why he engages that which he engages, okay? So, um, because Jesus' life and Jesus' words are very deliberate. They're very intentional, and I think that's how he lived his life. Um, and, and, and that's how I'm kind of going to define uh, engage today. I'm gonna, uh, when you look it up, there's a bunch of ways that you can define this. But I'm going to be looking at it to, to use it in this way that... Um, that's deliberate interaction, okay? When we engage something, it's deliberate interaction, okay? Um, and matter of fact, I'm going to start by telling you a little story. Uh, it's about me and my wife, Jenny, okay? So my wife and I, uh, this is how we kind of ended up together, and, and, and I'm going to tell you one version of it. That's called the truth. And, th and then my wife, she might have a different version. And see, I can say that because I know she's in the nursery right now with me. So... She's listening, so, but she'd have to, anyways. So, so as I tell you the story, he, here's how, how I see it, okay? Here's what happened. So, um, I went, my, there was, I had a, a friend, a roommate in, in a small Bible college, and he was really into Jenny, and, and to be honest, at this point, I really didn't have any interest in Jenny, and there was another girl, and I won't even worry about what her name is, but, but I was kind of interested in her. I, I, but it was more like I wanted to get to know her, okay? I thought she was attractive. That's where it starts. I know we don't always want to say that, but I thought she was good looking. And I said, okay, I wouldn't mind getting to know her a little better. So, uh, and I, I think it was mutual because all of a sudden Jenny and, and this guy liked her and this girl. They're like, hey, we're going to go to Jenny's house for the weekend. Do you want to come? I'm like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Good chance to get to know this girl. So we go to her house for the weekend. Um, and as we... As, as the weekend progresses more and more, it is very obvious to me that I had zero interest in this girl. And, and, and I had interest in Jenny. So I have this little bit of a dilemma here because my friend, you know, he's like smitten in love with Jenny. Uh, I don't think Jenny's really like digging him that hard. So I was like, you know what? There's some wiggle room here, you know? 
And uh, so the, the, the cool thing is, so what I start doing is, I start to deliberately engage Jenny. And what I mean by that is this. If there was an opportunity for me to sit by her at school and classes, what do you think I did? Yeah, I'm the man. You nailed it. And, and, and so what I did was, so then I, so then if, when she was eating lunch, I would go and sit by her. If other people were sitting around, I'd be like, I'm going to sit by Jenny. And I just kept on doing this. You know, and then we actually worked together, and and we worked at this this distribution. Uh, it was a Napa distribution center, and what we did was we loaded these totes with all these different car parts, um, um, and and there was like thirty of us from the Bible school that worked there. And this is what they would do when we get to work. They'd be like, "I need five of you guys to go do this section, and five to go do this section." And I would wait to see what section Jenny went in, and then I went to that section. So then I would work with her for the day. I'm smart. And, and, and so, so, uh, so I just keep kind of doing this. And then, so like, I was like a week or two later, this, this one girl comes up to me and I don't even know if she realized how big of a role she played in, in me ending up marrying Jenny someday. But, but this girl and she was completely just a friend. There was a number of them, like 10 of them who were going to go to her grandma's house in Wisconsin. And we were in Minnesota. And she goes, hey, we're going to my grandma's house this weekend. There's like 10 of us going. And, and, um, and we're going to play games, do all these good stuff. And all, you want to come? And I'm like, oh, I would love to come. And this is what I said to her. I said, hey, is it okay if Jenny comes? And she says, yeah. I said, good. Can you go invite her? And she's like, what? And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of trying. And, and she's like, she's like, yeah, I'll invite her, you know, getting a high five. She helped my game out a little bit. So the next thing you know, nobody invited that other guy. He wasn't there. So, you know, I deliberately engaged Jenny, and, I, and, and like, and you know what? I knew what I was doing. It was purposeful. You see that? You know, like, like when you know, you know, and, 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 and now stop here. Do not be like, Brandon's just like Jesus because of that story, okay? I, that's not the analogy I want you to get. The analogy I want you to get is this, is that Jesus lived a very deliberate life. And when we want something, we're the same way. We were very deliberate and intentional, and that's the way I was with Jenny. I, I, I deliberately engaged her. It was my mission to, to spend time with Jenny and date her. And obviously, it worked out. It's been a blessing for me. And, 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 and what I want us to see is this. I want us to see in the next seven eight weeks how Jesus engages other people and why he does it. And today, that's where we're going to start. Today, we're going to be looking at um, the, the reason for Jesus engaging us. Like, what's behind it? Um, so, and we're going to be looking at a story um, about this guy named Nicodemus. So if you want to, you can... Here, here, here's how... I'd like for you guys to hear the Word of God, okay? There's three ways that I think are very good for us to hear the Word of God. One, there's, a, there's Bibles underneath the, underneath the chairs. You can open the Bible, and it's on page 887, where I'm going to be reading from. It comes from the book of John, chapter 3. The second way is it's going to be on the screen behind me, and you can just read it, and you can follow along there. Or the third way, and this is the way that I usually learn best, is when someone else is reading or telling a story, I usually close my eyes. Um, so in school, I was often... Accused of sleeping, 
But, but I like to close my eyes and like imagine the story unfolding, okay? So however you want to do it is fine, but let's pray, and then we're going to be looking at John chapter 3, okay? Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. Thank you for our friends being here with us. Thank you for, for just letting us, allowing us to gather in your name, Lord Jesus. Uh, so bless this time that we spend together. May you, Lord Jesus, speak to our hearts, our minds, and our souls. In your name we pray. Amen. Oh, yeah, I forgot all about that. Yeah, it's like that's good. Got it, got it. So the funny part about this, can you lower that thing? Like, I'm, I'm not. I, I've tried. I've tried. Yeah, yeah. There we go. There we go. Thank you. You good? That's great. Yeah, that's good. That's good. See, I lower these things as low as I can because then it makes me look taller. Like, okay, like, like right now you're like, oh, man, Brandon's short. Whoop. There you go. So, um. I shouldn't have said that. Now I don't know where I'm. Okay, we're going to read. We're going to read from God's word. So let's read. Uh, so if you look at John chapter 3, I think it's going to be up there. Okay, I'm going to read either way. So we're going to go. Here you go, okay? Now there was a Pharisee, an, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I, I, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are born of water and the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. The wind blows whether, where, wherever it pleases, so hear its sound, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. Jesus responds, you are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and, you, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of the earthly things and you did not believe. How then would you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except from the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. That's Jesus himself. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And this is the part where we kind of like, I'm going to keep reading, but this is maybe the one verse that we, we kind of always hear and let it sink in, especially in the next two verses, okay? So he just says that everyone may believe and have eternal life in him. And then John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And this is the, one of the key verses for the whole thing we're doing, verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So this story is a, is a, is, is a unique story because in the middle of this, of this text I just read is a Bible verse that a lot of people hear all the time. I mean, the whole John 3.16 verse is, is, is the Bible in a nutshell, they call it. Um, Tim Tebow, when he used to play in college football games, always put it underneath his... Underneath his, on his the black eye underneath, okay? I don't know, I was going to call it makeup, and that sounded weird, so. But it's a verse that people are familiar with. 
But the thing that's not familiar is when you hear about Jesus telling the verses before that about the snake being lifted up, and, and then you sit there, and, I, and even I, I sat there for years, like, I have no idea what he's talking about. But today we're going to talk about it because this story is actually quite comforting. Because it starts in the same fashion as so many of our stories. We hear something about Jesus, or, or somebody says something about Jesus, or there's a co-worker or a, uh, a schoolmate, and somebody says something about Jesus, and, and maybe it piques our interest just a little bit. And it, it draws our interest enough to where maybe we're willing to hear a little bit more. And see, this is what happens with Nic Nicodemus. Nicodemus hears something about Jesus, he sees something, and, and he decides that he wants to go and approach Jesus. But now we need to know some things about Nicodemus as we start. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And if you don't know what that means, it's this, he was one of the, the religious teachers of the day. So, so we call them Pharisees. Today, I think they're called pastors. And, 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 and people are like, whoa. Well, because when you, when you live inside the church, we think that Pharisees are, are know-it-all stuck-up people who think that they know everything about the Bible and they always act the right way. And that's why I say sometimes we call them pastors, you know, because of, of that. But it's, 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 an, it's a negative term, but it's not supposed to be him. But, so he was a Pharisee. He was a member of the, the Jewish ruling council. This tells us a couple things about him. He was one of the best teachers. You don't get to where he was without being a great teacher. He, he also got to, to, he was like a judge. He got to make decisions for people and, um, and, and when they had conflict. And he is obviously one in his own community that people looked up to. He wouldn't have had his position without it. And because of this, this is probably part of the reason why when you look at the beginning of the text there, um, it says, I lost that sheet. It says that um, Nicodemus came to Jesus in the evening when it was night. Okay? Probably because he didn't want everyone to know that he's going to talk to Jesus. He didn't want to be seen by everybody. He wanted to investigate this and hear about it without all the ruckus that would come from somebody who is kind of like, not kind of like, someone who's very high up in the community going to hear and, and, and seek some wisdom and counsel from somebody who's literally a carpenter. That's what Jesus was. He was a carpenter. And now he's teaching and and and. And there's nothing wrong with being a carpenter. So just, just saying that real quickly here. So let's keep going. Some, someone in here is like, I'm a carpenter. There's nothing wrong with that. And I know that. I know that. But so, so, so Nicodemus walks up to Jesus, and this is what he says to him. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a, a good teacher because you couldn't do the stuff that you do without being from God. And, and the thing about this is this. The word rabbi that's, that's, that's a very intense phrase. You would not just call anybody a rabbi. This is, this is like, you don't walk up to somebody and be like, hey, mom. You know, maybe if you knew them, maybe if they helped raise you, definitely if it was your mom. But if it wasn't your mom, it would need some, a, a tight relationship before you start to call somebody that. And, and, and Nicodemus walks up to Jesus, and, 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 and there's some good stuff in this. Nicodemus wants to talk with Jesus, and he calls him rabbi. But if this was in the middle of the day, if people were around, he wouldn't have called him rabbi. Because other people would have been judging him, like, dude, why are you calling him rabbi? He's not your teacher. He hasn't taught you anything. And, and, and so he meets with Jesus, and he, and he sits down, and he, and he calls him rabbi. 
And he says, we know you are a good teacher who is from God. And then if you look, if you're following along and you look at the next verse, look at verse 3. And it says, very truly, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And what Jesus does when he confronts Nicodemus here, here's what he does. He is showing them that they're not on equal footing. Jesus does not beat around the bush. And I don't even think Nicodemus wants him to. This, this, this is one of those moments where, where there's no silly talk, there's no small talk, there's no shooting the breeze, no talk of, of sports like we do. When I engage somebody and I'm talking to them about Jesus or I want to, you know, I talk about all these different things and then I wait for the conversation to come up. And Jesus doesn't do that. He just cuts right to the chase. And I wonder, you know, like, why does he do that? Why is Jesus just, like, right there at him? He's just, it's, it's, it's a gut punch. If Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a teacher of the scriptures, one who acts, behaves, lives in a way um, that, uh, I'm sorry. I'm old. Okay. You can, you want to do it from there? Okay, you do it. The funny thing about this is I got distracted because I don't usually use the PowerPoint. Someone does it for me when we do it. And today I thought I would try and do it. And it's really funny because Paul, who's a little bit older than me, he uses all the technology. He uses, and, and, and I'm like, nah, man, I, I just type everything out. And, I, and, and I'm young, and I'm, I'm the one who's more of a dinosaur. I am a dinosaur. And I'll admit it. I am. It's who I am. Good, yeah. But so... So, and I, and I ask myself, why does Jesus, why does Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, a teacher of the scriptures, one who acts, behaves, lives in a certain way, what, one who thinks he's good, why does he go and approach Jesus? Because when Jesus cuts to the chase and he, he hits him with that first thing, you know, it, it, it's kind of stunning. But I think Jesus was speaking to him in the way that he needed to be spoken to. And there's three reasons why I think Nicodemus goes to Jesus. And the first one is that because Nicodemus is at a place in his life where it's like, so what now? You know, um, look at this. There, there, you'll come to a place in life where you'll accomplish so much, you'll, you'll, you'll get what you want, and, 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 and there's, there's, there's this empty feeling that's still long, that's still there. When I was a little bit younger, I had a job, and, and, and I wanted to work in the sports industry. Well, I wanted to be a professional athlete, but it wasn't going to happen. So then I, I get a job, and I'm working at, at a place called, I was working at the Metrodome, and I'm in charge of the locker rooms. I'm in charge of all the private suites. I make a ton of money. I'm, I'm, I love it. I, but I'm the emptiest I'd ever been in my life. I had more money, got to where I wanted to be, but it was completely empty. There was, it was a so what now moment. And I think that's where Nicodemus is. If I was going to explain this one more way, it'd be like this. The Cubs won the World Series a couple years ago. I would use the, the analogy of the Cardinals, but it's been such a long time that it doesn't quite work as well. But it's kind of like this. In, in, in sports, if you play a professional sport, whether it's baseball or football, the goal is what? What's the goal by the end of the year? To win it all, right? The goal is not second place. 
But the second you win it all, you go into the locker room, they're popping champagne bottles and Coca-Colas and they're spraying each other. And the next day, it's basically gone. The next day, they've reached the pinnacle and someone says, reset, start over. It's all gone. And you start playing for the next day. And, and I think this is where Nicodemus is at in life. Like, hey, man, I'm a Pharisee. I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, I'm a, uh, um, a Pharisee. I'm a scribe. I'm a, I'm, a, I, 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 I'm, I'm a judge. I rule. He has all these things, and yet, and yet he's not fulfilled in life. People look up to him. He walks around, and people would be like, there's Nicodemus. And he knew something was still missing. The second reason why I think he approaches Jesus is because, because he's a teacher, because, he's, because he knows the law, the law is the Torah, it, it's, it's knowing the Ten Commandments and then the rest of the, the Old Testament really well. I think because he knows it so well, he knows the hole that it leaves inside of us. When you know you're doing wrong and everybody around you thinks you're great, you have a very empty feeling inside of you. Do you know what I mean? It's, 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 why, it's why as a pastor so many times, I want to talk and share about my mistakes. I want you to know that, that, that I have so many mistakes and mess ups inside of me. And I, I, if you're around me enough, you see me live out around you guys. But, and, and, but he knows that everybody around him, he has his position because he's good. And yet he walks around knowing how not good he is. The third reason why I think he approaches Jesus is because it kind of tick, tr trickles off the second one. Because he knows he's not good, he knows something is missing. From being a teacher of the Old Testament and, and, and knowing what the prophets say, he knows there's, there's, there's more to come. There's, it even talks about the whole Testament points to one who's going to come and rescue the people. And Nicodemus is sitting here and he's wondering, is Jesus this guy? Is Jesus the guy who's going to come and rescue his people from their sins? And Jesus, so he approaches Jesus at night, and he walks up to Jesus, and he says to him, Jesus, I know you're a good teacher. And Jesus looks at him, and in one sentence, he takes away everything Nicodemus has ever earned. In one sentence. He says to him, I, you're right, I am a good teacher. In order for you to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And this blows Nicodemus's mind. And I'm not going to go through all of it just yet. Actually, I'm going to skip over a bunch of it for today. But here's what happens. Nicodemus asks some questions. Said, well, how, how can that be? How can one be born again? How can they enter their mother's womb a second time? That's just not smart, Jesus. And Jesus goes on and explains some more. But when Nicodemus questions it, and it's in verse 9. In verse 9, I'm going to find out. I do want to read that verse to you. It says this, Nicodemus, these are his words. He says, how can this be? And when Nicodemus says that, when he says that, here's what he's confessing to. I know nothing. I know nothing. Nicodemus is just like the rest of us. Jesus, fill me in. Tell me more. And then this is where Jesus starts to speak to, to Nicodemus in words that he's going to hear and he's going to understand. And Jesus starts to, to use the Old Testament. And he takes the Old Testament and he opens it up. He knows it, but he says it to him in a way that he is going to hear the reason and the purpose for Jesus coming. And what he does is this. 
Jesus says these words in John 3, 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. I sat there for so long wondering what does that mean? What does it mean for this just just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, what does that mean? And, and here's, I'm going to tell you what it means right now, but before I tell you what it means, I want you to hear it. It's a, a precursor to, to the text I'm about to share with you, okay? Um, throughout time, here, here's how we find ourselves getting in trouble. God will give us his word, and we don't listen to it. For example, let me give it to you. God gave Adam and Eve his word, and, and he told them not to do what? And what did they do? They did. Okay, so when we don't hear God's word or we reject it, we don't listen to it, then consequences happen. We go our own way. God gave his word to Abraham. He didn't listen. He rejected it. God made a promise to him that, that, that he was going to use him and multiply his people, and he didn't want to believe in it. Then God says to Israel, I will be your God. You will be my people. I will deliver you out of your slavery. They rejected it. They didn't want to hear it. And, and it got to the point with them when they were complaining so much, and we're going to go to Numbers chapter 21 right now. I think Matt's going to put that up there for us. I'm going to read it from the board because I don't have it memorized. But this is what it says, and this is what Jesus says to that guy. He spoke a language that he would understand. And it says this, They, the people of Israel, traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and, and we detest this miserable food that we do have. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses again and said, We've sinned, we messed up, we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look up at it and live. So Moses makes a bronze snake and puts it on a pole. And then anyone who is bitten by a snake looked up at the bronze snake and they lived. That is the weirdest story. It is. It's a weird story. Hopefully you get it. The people are complaining against God, so snakes came, and, they, and the snake bit people. And, and I know it sounds weird, but, but then they repented, and God said, okay, I'm going to lift up this, this, this little image, this statue, and when you look at it, you're going to be healed. But it wasn't the looking at it that healed them. It was the trusting in God's word. It was, it was trusting in the promise that God would provide for them. And then Jesus says something that you, we look at these, 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 these sayings, and they kind of oh, man, if I didn't understand what that meant, it would be hard to follow. And Jesus compares himself to the image. He said, when people looked at that in, in, your in Israel, they looked at the snake and they were healed. In the same way, the Son of Man must be lifted up, and when people look to the Son of Man, they'll be healed of their sin. But Jesus was lifted up differently. He was lifted up on a cross. So now this guy, Nicodemus, he hears the story. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He could have. But instead, Jesus broke down completely everything that, about Nicodemus' way earlier. And right now, he's going to completely rebuild his faith foundation. And this is what he says to him. Jesus is very deliberate. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And this verse 17, I believe, is the purpose of, 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 of Christ coming into this world. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We so often think that, that we have to live a good life. We have to, to do all these things. And if we don't, we are judged by Jesus for condemnation because we weren't good enough. We didn't live up to the same standard that he lived. And that is backwards. It is, it's, it's the wrong way of thinking. It's, 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 it's horrible teaching. Jesus came into this world to die for our sins. He lived a life that we couldn't live so that we wouldn't have to live it. What Jesus does is he brings grace to the people who need it, which is all of us. Jesus is the one who, when we're broken, when our sin breaks us down, when we're feeling it, Jesus is the one who forgives us of our sins. I never, ever in my life heard of Jesus Christ until I was in high school. I hung around horrible people, and they hung around horrible people when they hung out with me. The stuff I did was horrendous, horrendous. And I would walk, and I would live my life, and I would know it on the inside. I knew the things that I were doing were wrong, was wrong. And I lived with guilt, and I lived with shame, and I never knew how to deal with any of it. And I joke because I make fun of Cardinals fans because I'm a Cubs fan. But the truth is this. This guy walked up to me, and he had a Cardinals hat on, and I was like, ugh. And he stopped in front of me and says, can I talk to you? And I'm like, sure. Hesitant, not really wanting to talk to him. And the guy sits down, and he starts to small talk me. He talked to me about things I cared about. He talked about the Cubs, talked about baseball. And then all of a sudden he says, hey, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, sure, what's up? He said, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? And like any rational person, I said, heaven. And he's like, well, why? And at this I said, and this is, this is what went through my head, because I'm a good person. And as those words came out of my mouth, I had never in my life thought I was a good person. So as I said it, for the first time in my life, I also felt like a liar. Like, I knew I was a liar. That wasn't the point. I felt it. And this guy said, well, your best is a dirty rag to God. And I remember thinking, beat him down. Like, that was my thought. That's who I was. I hung around gangbangers, and, and, and I just thought, this dude needs a whooping. And, and for some reason, I said, I was angry, man. I was so, I was so ticked. I said, what makes you so great? And he said, nothing. It's not about what I do, but it's what Jesus did for me. I said, what do you mean? He said, do you make mistakes? Do you mess up? I'm like, yeah, dude. I, yeah, dude. I'm, I came to that event high. I, of course I make mistakes. I'm, I'm really messed up. Go on, you know? And then he said, you're not going to live a good enough life. Even if you didn't do the things you were doing, it wasn't going to be good enough because you still sinned. But see, Jesus came in this world to die for your sins. He, he came in, John 3, 16. God gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
And he said to me that on the cross, Jesus died for my sins, and that if I confess my sins to him, Jesus takes them, and he removes them, and they are no more. And for a young man who was living and walking around with so much guilt and so much shame, that was the best thing I could have ever heard. I turned 40 today. I think that happened when I was 16. I don't remember because of my actions that all the stuff I was doing, some of those things are a little foggy. But not one thing has changed in all of those days. Each day I wake up and I just am reminded that what I have done wrong, my guilt, my sin, my shame, it's, it's like God just rips it from me. He takes it from me. And he says to me, it's no longer yours. It's mine. It's why I died. And then he takes his righteousness, his godness, and he gives it to me. And he credits me righteous. In God the Father's eyes. And my friends, that is what Christianity is all about. When you go someplace and someone's asking you, and what is it about? Jesus' purpose, the reason Jesus engages us, was because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through us, through him. I'm gonna close. I have a couple things I was gonna close with, but because of time, I'm not going to. I am going to look at this one last thing, though. There's one more slide, I think, isn't there? Here's how we look at this, okay? Um, I know it's silly. I'm a silly person. But I want you to read this with me at the same time as I read it. And where you see the space, if I did this right, um, when you look at the scripture verses, that, the, word that should, the word that should be there is, is the world. But instead of the world... I want you to place your name in it, and I just want you to read it with me, okay? So I'm going to start, and you guys jump in with me, okay? Ready? For God so loved Brandon that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn Brandon, but to save Brandon through him. If you leave with one thing today, well, hopefully I hope you leave with three things. I, think you, I hope that you leave with a full belly. I hope that you leave having fun outside. And I hope that you leave knowing that you have a Savior who died for you. With that, let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, we give you thanks for all things. May you continue to speak to us and take us on a journey just like Nicodemus. When we have questions, may we come to you and may we seek you, Lord. But thank you for the grace that you give us. In your name we pray. Amen.
with somebody sitting here?
Okay. At this time, we're gonna, I'm going we're gonna to do the benediction, and we're going to pray for the food outside. Just so you know, uh, the food will be outside, obviously. But you, some of you guys can go hit the inflatable. Some of you guys can grab food. You can do vice versa. You can eat inside. You can eat outside. We just want you to have a good time, okay? You're always welcome to come back again. We love having you here every Sunday. So thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Receive the benediction which Jesus Christ said himself when he said these words. Just as the Father has sent me, so now I send you. Go in peace.